Tonight we are going to conclude uh, our, our series on, on, um, that we call uh, got, got Questions. I could not think of the name of it. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. Um, we're going to conclude our series called Got Questions. I want to remind you that next Sunday night we will continue having this Ministers of the Roundtable, but the format is going to change just slightly. We will begin with 15-minute devotional on the front end where we'll have some singing and prayer and have a little time of worship. And then in lieu of a, a sermon, per se, we will engage in a continued Bible study like this. And next week we'll be introducing a new topic. It is going to be a textual study that is undecided at this point, but check back next Sunday night and we will uh, be ready to introduce a, a study of, of a particular book of the Bible. Um, before we introduce tonight's topic, we would like to go to God in prayer, and Jay Hall is going to lead us in that prayer. Okay, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for being our Father. We're humbled to be able to have a study tonight, Lord, in your word. As we go to it, we marvel at your wisdom on display. Lord, I just ask you to help us guide our thoughts tonight. Lord, give us clear minds and uh, easy speech and how we convey the thoughts, Lord, that we're trying to just uh, bring from your word. Lord, let them be straight from you. We thank you uh, for giving us this evening in which we could be together. We, we do not take for granted the times in which we get to come into the same building and sit in pews together, Lord, anymore in the fact of how this year has gone. So we're thankful that we can just be t together tonight in uh, a warm building and that we can enjoy each other's company afterwards. Lord, we thank you for your word and the wisdom that you have laid out for us. Lord, we, we do indeed have questions, but we know that all of our answers are here that you have truly equipped us for everything that we need to do good works, and we know that you have not left your children uh, wanting. And so we thank you for what you've given us in this bound form or the time that we live in now, Lord, on, on our phones or our iPads, that we have access to your word, the ease, the ease that we have it. And so we thank you for that. Thank you for letting us live in a, in a time like this. Lord, I ask you to be with us tonight. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Tonight's question is, why am I here? During the course of this entire series called Got Questions, we've, we've been investigating the questions we as ministers tend to receive most frequently. And so uh, we've, we've looked at questions about doubt and questions about evil and suffering, questions about homosexuality, questions about um, the church. And tonight we want to wrap up this series by looking at a question that addresses purpose. Why am I here? And so tonight we want to begin the investigation of this question, or at least answering this question, by considering first and foremost what is God's will for our lives. And we're going to look at this initially from a very uh, generic, uh, overarching view. We want to consider what is God's will for all of us, for everyone's life. And as the four of us have spent time together over the past several months, we came up with four words uh, that we think really summarize well God's will. Now let me give you a little disclaimer here on the front end. In the time we have tonight, it would be impossible for us to cover all of God's will for your life. So we're going to zero in, we're going to focus in on four key words that we think provide a, a good starting point for understanding what God's will is for all of our lives. And we're going to start with the word glorify. Part of God's will for your life, part of the reason for your existence is for you 
to bring glory to God. I want you, if you will, to uh, notice what, God, what um, Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 7. You see, the Bible indicates that God does not exist to make much of us, but that we exist to make much of God. We exist to glorify God. In Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 7, God said that everyone who he formed and who he made was created for his glory. In other words, we were designed for the purpose of magnifying him, of bringing glory to him. The Greek term that you're going to see translated glory, particularly in the New Testament, but also in the Septuagint, the, uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Greek term translated glory, it refers to weightiness. And it reveals that God is to carry the most weight in our lives. In other words, for us to give glory to God means that he is heavy, not light, and that we were designed to let the world know that. God's, prior, or God's priority is to reveal himself and to make himself known, and, and he does that through us. In fact, he does that through all of creation. Psalm chapter 19 and verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. When David wrote that, he was saying that you, you can't look up into the sky and not realize that God is weighty, that God is heavy. And so all of creation is designed to bring glory to God, but humans were especially designed for that. You think back to the creation account and everything that is created is pronounced good. Seven different times in Genesis chapter 1, the de declaration is made by God that what he created is good. He made the sun, the moon, the stars, it is good. He made the earth, it is good. He made the, the plants and the animals, it is good. But then he came around to creating mankind. And he did something a little different with us. He created us in his image. But what's interesting is if you look at the creation account and you look at the creation of trees and you look at the creation of animals, every time he created them, he said, let us, he spoke about making kinds. But he didn't make different kinds when it came to humans, as I've talked about recently in sermons. He said, let us make man in our, according to our kind. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. That little detail to me is important because it indicates that more than anything else in all the universe, we're uniquely qualified to glorify God. In other words, we were specifically designed to bring glory to him. I think that's what it means to be an image bearer. To be someone who represents God in such a unique way that we can be the agents through whom he receives glory. So think about these passages real quick. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16 says, Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
First Peter chapter 2 and verse 12 says something very similar. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20 says that you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You see, we were created for the purpose of glorifying God. That may take the form of what we do when we gather as a, a collective body and we worship Him in song and through prayer and through study but it also takes the form of your everyday individual lives of doing things that bring honor to Him. So part of why you are here, part of God's will for your life, is to bring Him glory. But of course, that's not the entirety of it. God's will for you is to glorify Him, but God's will is also for you to be edified. And Jay's going to address that for us. All right, so the next one, that the next kind of topic we're looking at tonight, like Kyle's been talking about, um, it's gonna, it would take us a lot more than a one-hour session to cover what is the will of God for each and every one of us. And we're going to get a little bit more into why that is, but like we're going through right now, there's different, some, some, some subheadings that we could kind of tackle or define that would help figure out the comprehensive will of God for us in general. So as, as Kyle has went through the, the idea of God expects and God's will for our life, God's purpose for us is to glorify Him. So we have that upward call. We have that call to glorify from where we are back up to Him. And then we have the second one in which we've entitled the edify, the will of God, and that's where we edify one another. We're going to look at a few different passages to kind of answer that call tonight. The first one being Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, and that will be the one that kind of shapes our thought why we, why we think and why we feel like God's Word explains this, that that's how big uh, a deal edification is. Our encouragement or building up of one another, it's more than just a, a, a nice suggestion from God. He doesn't look down and say, I want, my, I want my followers to be nice to each other. I want my sons and daughters to be kind. It's more of I expect them to. This is built into your purpose. So Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2 simply says, Bear one another's burdens, and here's the important part, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Two points I want to pull from that. The first point is look at who is uh, focused on in the first part of that. Bear one another's burdens. This is, a, to me, a call of action. It's to me saying, Paul is looking to those in Galatia and saying, well, I am expecting you to bear the, the brothers and sisters' burdens around you. This is a call for the reader to hear this and say, okay, I need to bear this person's burden. I need to bear that person's burden. It's not a call of saying, you know what, your burdens will be cared for. This is an introspective looking at you, a call for you to act because they're other people's burdens. Not so much, okay, I, I come to church, I come to worship, I'm a part of the church, I should say, so that other people can carry my burdens. That's what's expected, but I think something we have to realize and part of this expectation of God's will is He is expecting you, He's expecting me to bear your burdens, to go out of my way in every way I can to help you. And with that, I can expect for you to do the same to me. But look at the importance of that first part. Bear one of those burdens, and then, and this is, like I said, 
in the beginning. This is what we're driving home at here. And so fulfill the law of Christ. What law he's speaking about there, I believe, is in John chapter 13 and verses 34 and 35 when Christ says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Look at, listen to verse 35, John 13, 35. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. One of the definitive marks of a Christian is this love and this edification that we are expected to have one another. This is where Christ says, this is how people are going to know who you are. This is how people recognize that you are of mine. This is how people recognize that you are a brother of mine, a son and daughter of, of God, that you love one another. So this, this edification thing is more than just a, something nice that we should do. It, it's more than just when you, when you tell the preschoolers that, hey, guys, you should really share. This edification is, is a strong commandment to us saying, this is not only what I'm expecting from you, to bear one another's burdens, to love one another as I have loved you. But it's a, it's a strict command. It's something that I need to be engaged in. It's something we all need to be engaged in. And so the question that we, we could spend the rest of tonight on, we could spend a whole study on is, okay, then what is, how do we do that? If God expects me to glorify Him, God expects me to edify one another, then how do I go about doing that? And so we could talk about you know, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, just our presence here this evening and how that can be an edification. We could talk about how we edify one another by teaching. We could talk about how we edify one another by singing songs. One quick summation before I hand it over to Mingu, I believe is next, is in Philippians chapter 2, verses uh, 3 through 7, I believe is, is a very quick uh, summation of what it means to encourage one another and how we, go about, how, how we should go about doing that as well. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 7. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men." I think that is a beautiful summation of what and how we fulfill God's will for our life. If you've ever been in that point where you ask, okay, why am I here? What is God's will for my life? I think something we all have to understand is a large part of that doesn't have anything to do with me. A large percentage of what God wants out of my life it's not my happiness. It's not my success. It's not where I'm going to go to school at. God's will for my life sometimes doesn't dictate what I, how I do this, what, where I go, what I do. A large part of what God's will, how it interacts with my life is how I interact with you and what I'm helping you achieve and what I'm helping you get through and how I'm going to you and bearing your burdens. So if I want to fulfill God's will in my life, I've got to come to you. So that, I think, so we've, we've talked about glorify. We've handled edifying. Like I said, we could go on to multiple passages and how we go about doing that. Here's just tip of the iceberg. And now Mingu's going to test, uh, talk about the importance of being able to testify. Uh, yep. Um, we are Christians in the Church of Christ. And we are saved by God and saved by uh, Jesus' blood. We were washed of our sins by His blood. But 
What is very interesting and also what we should not forget is that salvation is not just for us. Salvation is for all. It should go all the place that God created, all people. So that's why we probably uh, were first saved. So uh, here's the thing that we have to remember, that we have work to do for, uh, to accomplish uh, God's will. I mean, the, the will of the Lord who saved us, and that is testifying to him and to his gospel. So testifying is our work. Uh, for example, the great mission that uh, Jesus gave to his disciples is, to, is also for us. That mission is also for us. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said, you will receive, you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So those who receive the Holy Spirit are us. We receive the Holy Spirit as gifts as we were baptized, as we were washed of our sins. And uh, so we were born again. And so our goal, I mean, our work is also uh, to be witnesses to Jesus' name and to his gospel. And what about the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20? It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The receiver of the commission is not only the disciples, I mean the apostles, but us too. So what we have to do is to teach others the gospel and also baptize them and uh, help them to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is the uh, work that we have to do. That is the great commission for us too. And that is testifying to Jesus and what he accomplished uh, by his blood. And also the great commandments. Uh, Jay mentioned it uh, a while ago. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just, uh, just as I have loved you, you also are love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, John chapter 13, verses 35 and 35, I mean 34 and 35. So John, I mean, John recorded what Jesus said. Jesus obviously said, you know, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Now, what basically this commandment is saying is that we have to love one another. I mean, edify one another. I mean, not only in ourselves, but also we have to love our neighbors as ourselves. And that is difference. That is the thing that we, uh, by which we testify to Jesus. Because he loved us as we were sinners, and we have to love others as he did to us. So that is the way uh, for us to testify Jesus in our world. And that is also, uh, I mean, I, I take it as a, a commandment 
to testify him. So um, another thing that we uh, have to think about is the, what, what is the purpose of the church and the Christians? Uh, I made an ex uh, extract from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. I mean, I adjusted some to make sense in this regard. Uh, just let me just read it. We are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, gospel, we are made ministers. I mean, I mean, I can change. We can change the word ministers as testifiers. I mean, we are made testifiers to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. He, he had this purpose on us, and he called us, I mean, saved us through his blood for us to fulfill this purpose. And verse 12 uh, says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So what I'm trying to say is that the purpose of Christians and the purpose of the church is to testify to Jesus' gospel, to Jesus' name. Uh, so uh, I believe uh, we, whatever we, however we individually live, what we have to do as Christians and uh, the, as the church of Christ uh, is to testify to Jesus' name, to the gospel. That's the will of God for us, and that's what we should not forget at any minute. Amen. So we've gone over a, a few of the points that we believe we can see God's will in. What is God's will ultimately for us, for the church, for His body? Uh, one of them is obviously glorify Him, glorify His name, that is upwards. One of them is to edify one another, that is inwards. And one is to testify the world, and that is outward. Now all of this is ultimately what we believe to accomplish what Jesus visioned in John 17. And we've been talking about this passage lately a lot with our unity discussion and with uh, certain articles that have been written in John 17. But in John chapter 17, in verse 20, Jesus, uh, the, the day before, the night before, he is going to be crucified. Uh, Jesus is praying to the Lord. He is praying to his Father. And he prays for his disciples that are there. And then he also prays for the followers that would come. And in verse 20, he starts by saying, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And so when we think about what is this all culminating towards, what is the glorifying 
for? What is the edifying for? What is the testifying for? It all comes together so that we might unify with God. So that might, we might be one with God, just as Jesus, the Son, was with the Father. So the ultimate goal of our glorifying and edifying and testifying is so that we might unify together with God the Father. And that is what uh, Ephesians 4 talks about with the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, is above all, through all, in all. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, that is our ultimate goal. And that is the ultimate will of God so that we can be one with Him one day. We're told in Revelation, all the great streets of gold, no crying, no uh, all the stuff, but what we really want to focus in on is in Revelation 21 when he says, we will dwell with God. God will be His people, and they shall be His people. We shall be together with God forever. So when we think about God's will, all of it can be encircled and encompassed with the idea of unifying. And how do we unify? Well, we glorify, we edify, and we testify. And so with that, I want to open up, if there's any more thoughts from us guys, on these four different words before we move on to the next point. That's your key, Kyle. All righty. <laughs> so we've been discussing what is God's will as part of this, this, this examination of why am I here. That's one thing for us to be able to stand up here and say, um, or to be, a, be able to sit up here and define what God's will is, but it's another thing for us to individually be able to know what God's will is. So our second question that we want to pose is, how can I know God's will? And we believe there are a few ways that, that aid us in this endeavor. And the first is by studying God's Word. Ben, you want to take the lead there? Yeah, so, you know, the reason we get this question all the time as ministers and uh, why people want to know what God's will is, is obviously because they want to be doing God's will. What is God's will for my life? What is God's will in general? How can I know God's will? Because I know if I'm doing God's will, then everything's going to be all right. We learn about that all the way back as children in, in Bible class. If we do God's will, He's going to take care of us. So all throughout our lives, we're always searching, what is God's will? What is, this, what is God's will for this situation? Well, I believe the most obvious answer for where is God's will, how can I know God's will, is obviously God's Word. God's Word is obviously, should be one of the first places, if not uh, the most important place that we go to to see and to discover God's will for our life. Why? Because it is His Word. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. This word inspiration, we talked about it a few weeks ago, is God-breathed. And that Scripture is able to make a man, a woman, a follower of God, it is profitable for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
The Bible also, it says, that it gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Turn to uh, Psalm chapter 119. Obviously, this is one of the, the greatest sections of God's Word that describes how great God's Word is. Uh, Psalm 119 Psalm 119, starting in verse 9. It says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statute. I will not forget your word. Now fast forward to, verses 10, to verse 105. 105. Psalm 119, 105. It says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so when we think about how can I know God's will for my life, well, we're going to have to go to God's Word to find it. God's Word tells us what His will is. In fact, we read right here that it is literally a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Without the Word of God, we don't know what God's will is. So many Christians wonder all their lives, what is God's will? What is God's will? Well, we got His will. He gave it to us. He told us exactly what His will was for our life, what His expectations are for our life. And if we don't know what His will is, it might be because we have been neglecting to read about what He has to say about it. Because all throughout the Word of God, He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God. And so if we're going to ever understand how I can know God's will, we're going to have to go to the book God wrote, to find it. And that book is able to make us wise. It is able to give us all the answers that we're searching for. God is an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God. And He gave us a book that is also all-knowing. It is living. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces into the soul, into the marrow, and the joints, and the spirit. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews 4 and verse 12. That's what God's Word is. How can I know God's will? Through His Word. And with that, we got our next thought about how we can know God's will, and that's going to be into it by Jay. All right, if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 14 is where we're going to go next. So obviously, I think the first place we're going to go to, if you want to find out God's will, I, th I think I'd agree with Ben. I think the first place you should go to is His Word, because over a dozen times in the New Testament alone, you have that phrase, um, and for this is the will of God. And when I teach the, the youth upstairs, when we read a passage, I say, okay, when we hear this, when we read a passage that inside of it, when you see, you see the words, and this is the will of God, or this accomplishes the will of God, says, this is when the red lights start going off, like, wow, this is the utmost important right here. And so it's not hidden from us. God's will is not some puzzle we have to figure out in our life. It's laid out in almost in every book of the New Testament. But aside from that, once we go there, another place I think that's important to go is directly to God Himself through the avenue of prayer. 
And we get that example from inside of God's will, inside of God's word, I should say, the example of Christ. Mark chapter 14, I'm going to start in a couple of verses ahead, uh, verse 33. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said, that, said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And when he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now the reason I, I skipped ahead, I, went, I jumped back a little bit. We didn't just jump right into verse 36, that key word, you know, not, yet not what I will, but you, what you will, is because I want to see the importance of where Christ is when he's saying those comments. Look back at verse 34 when he says, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. I, I feel like this shows the humanity of our Savior on the eve of his crucifixion. He realizes what the next day is going to carry for him. He has seen crucifixions. He's walked across. He's walked by the, a cross before. He knows what he has in store for him. And it's weighing so heavy on his heart. He makes a comment that maybe, just maybe, we've all said in a small way, an example of this in our own life, where we've been in a crossroads or where we haven't known how to handle situations. You say, I've almost overcome with grief. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know what I'm going to do to handle this situation. This grief is just too much for me to handle. He says, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. This is, this is almost too much. This pain, this weight, it might kill me alone. And to me, this doesn't show the weakness of Jesus. To me, this shows the strength of my Savior because He was willing to carry that weight and still say the words that came out of his mouth next. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Even knowing what was about to be asked of him, knowing God's will, he makes his plea, says, Lord, I, Father, I know all things are possible. If, if you just will it a different way, then this cup can pass from me. And so he goes to his Father and notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't ask God to just change how it is. Lord, I don't want to do this. Please pass this cup for me because I just don't want to do it. He's not asking God to change his will outright. He's just asking for his will maybe to be accomplished in a different way. And so he goes to God in prayer asking him to, to, to alter it to, to that degree. And so what can we take away from that? When we see our Savior go to his Father in prayer and saying, show him his will. You know, I don't think it means that we get down on our knees and we pray to God, show me what to do, Lord, and, and the first door that's open in front of us the next morning, we realize. We can't read a sign into everything that happens next, and we can't see God's hand in literally every action that happens in our life, I don't think. But I think we can see the importance and the necessity of going to God in prayer and saying, I know your will is not a mystery. I know you've laid it out by in glorification, edification, and testifying to him, and unifi unifying all together. Lord, let me see how I can do that. Help me see your will. I'm not asking him to change it. I'm just asking him to make it more clear in my path directly. So we can go to God's will to figure it out by, by Bible study. We can, go to God's, we can figure out God's will by prayer as well.
one thing uh, about prayer that really stands out to me is that ultimately the purpose of prayer isn't necessarily to convince God of something. Oftentimes the purpose of prayer is to make your will align with his. I love what, what you had to say about prayer there. I also think as we go to our starting point of God's word and we become familiar with his will via his word, there's one way we can monitor whether or not we're staying within his will, and I believe that's by looking at our fruit. You know, there's a lot said about fruit production in Scripture. In particular, if you go to Matthew chapter 7, there's a couple of statements made there about fruit that are worth mentioning in the Sermon on the Mount. And in particular, if you go down to verse 16, as well as verse 20, twice Jesus says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, he's in part talking about false teachers here, but the, re, the, the truth, the underlying concept that you can recognize something by its fruit applies across the board. In fact, Jesus will say here in verse 17 that a healthy tree bears good fruit. And so if you're trying to determine whether or not what you're doing is consistent with the will of God, one thing you can be sure of is that it's always going to produce good fruit. And of course, we all know that the definition of fruit can be found in Galatians chapter 5. If you go look at the list of the fruits of the Spirit in verses 22 and 23, the, the fruits being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, Self-control, and I skipped one. Oh, I was going to ask the teens to tell me because they just spent a whole year on it. <laughs> you do. It does help to sing the song. Anyway, we know what the fruits are. The ultimate question is, and it, it, the, the question you have to consistently ask yourself is what I am doing or the direction I am heading producing these fruits. And, and maybe not all of them at once, but is it producing good fruit or not? That can be a good measuring tool for whether or not you're maintaining, you're your, your residing in the midst of God's will. Uh, whereas God's will will be determined by your study of God's word, and you will be aligning yourself with God's will through your prayer. And now you can monitor your, your status within God's will by looking at your fruit. I also want you to notice one last verse. It comes from Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10. There Paul gives these instructions. He says, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. We have statements such as this in Scripture that are calling on us to have good fruit production. And that fruit production is going to be a, a measurement of whether or not you're maintaining your presence in the will of God in whatever situation or direction you are headed. But Mingu has some more to add for us in regards to this how can I know God's will, and it has to do with obedience. Go okay. ahead, Mingu. Uh, a professor at Fred Hardman, as I was there, um, was teaching the theologies of the scholars. And, you know, I was, when I was doing it, I was wondering why are why are there so many theologies, so many 
ideas about one verse about the same Bible. And I asked the question, why is that so? And the professor answered very wisely, and I remember it. And he said that, you know, everyone's intention of reading the Word of God is different. So what is our intention to read the Word of God? And I think our intention should be to obey Him, should be to do it. I mean, we do not read the Bible to argue against God. We should not read the Bible to prove that I am right in my doing. But we read the Bible to do it. We read, we read the commandment to love because I am weak. So I need to remind myself that it is a commandment from God that I have to love my brother. So that's why we read the Bible. We read the Word of God. So what I'm saying is that our intention, our attitude about the Word of God is the foremost, first important thing for us to know the will of God. We have to be obedient. We have to be willing to do it. We have to be willing to carry it out in our lives. And with that attitude and with that mindset, as we read the Bible, that the Word of God tastes like honey and what other? Good mushroom. <laughs> this is like that. Yeah. So our attitude determines what we get from the Word of God. And the Bible teaches exactly the same thing. Uh, John chapter, nine, uh, chapter 5, verse 39 and 40, Jesus said to, uh, uh, the, to the Jews, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You know, they read the Bible, they read the scripture, but their intention was to do it. Their intention, I mean, was not to do it. Their intention, their attitude was not to obey it. That's why, even though the scripture was testifying to Jesus and he was there, but they refused him. They refused to come to him. If they did, they could have life, but they didn't. So they didn't have the life. Life. And 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Let's break down this verse in this way. The, what was the first thing? That is, follow the doctrine. And then, put these things before the brothers. And then you will be being trained in the words. So what was the first thing? You have to obey the doctrine, the sound doctrine. And then you have to uh, put it before others. And then you will know the will of God better. And you will, do, you will do more in God's will. That's the order. That's the divine order we, we, should, I mean, we can go against. In John chapter 7, verse 17, Jesus also says, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching 
I mean, Jesus' teaching is from God or whether I am. I mean, Jesus is speaking on his own authority. So the first thing to know God's will, if uh, the word of God is God's will or not, is to align our will with God's will. So that's obedience. That's the first thing that we have to do for us to know the will of God as we read the Bible, as we pray, as we search our fruit. And uh, as a conclusion, if I say, I mean, if I read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it obviously gives us the idea that we have to first and foremost have the attitude of obedience. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is our obedience, right? That, in order that, you may discern what is the will of God. This is the part, the second part, to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So let's not forget that, you know, the first thing and foremost thing that we have to do to know the will of God, to know the will of God is to align our will to his will first. So we've talked about what God's will is in a generic sense, and we've talked about how we can know God's will, but now let's get a little more specific. Because this is the question that ultimately we hear a lot. What is God's will for my life? Now we've been talking in the broad strokes of what is God's will for mankind and how we can determine what that will is. But what about when it comes to you individually? How can you know what God's will is for your life? Guys? You turn to Ephesians 5 and verse 17, one of the uh, most challenging verses, uh, if you just look at it and uh, think about it, one of the most challenging verses in all the Bible. Ephesians 5 and verse 17, probably the reason why we are here tonight and talking about this and why this is such a great question. Uh, Paul says, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be unwise, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So we're walking away thinking, well, I, if I don't understand God's will, then I'm foolish. I'm unwise. That's exactly the case. If we don't understand what God's will is for our life, then we are not wise. We are not ready for the world that's in front of us. And so the question comes, what is God's will for my life? And I find myself asking this question all the time. A lot of times when we are uh, graduating, little kids over there graduating, getting close to graduation, what's God's will? Do I go to this college? Do I go to that college? Do I marry this person or do I try to date that person? And we think to our in, in adults, do I stay in this job or do I go to this job? And what's God's will in all this? I think sometimes we might get ourselves to the point where we don't know what to do next because we're constantly wondering what is God's will when the fact of the matter is 
we can accomplish God's will through either decision we make. Do I go to this college or do I go to this college? Well, can you accomplish God's will at both? Do I do this job or do I do this job? Shouldn't you be able to accomplish God's will at either of them? And so the question is, 1 John in chapter 2 and verse 17, it says, The world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. The, the world is passing away, the lust therein are passing away, but those that do the will of God will abide forever. What is the will of God? The ultimate will of God. We've talked about uh, glorifying, edifying, testifying, unifying. We've talked about obeying. We've talked about bearing fruit. We've talked about all these things. Absolutely. But if I'm going to give one answer to this, if I'm going to go to one section of Scripture for this, I'm going to go to the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon, most likely. Solomon, who lived his life and was the wisest man in all the world, gained all the pleasures of the entire world, didn't keep himself from one single thing he wanted. He lived his life totally apart from God up until the end, until he presumably repented. But in Ecclesiastes at chapter 12, at the end of all of it, what does he say? Ecclesiastes 12, 13, it says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. What is the will of God for my life? It is for me to fear God and keep His commandments. I can do that if I work here. I can do that if I work there. I can do that if I go to college here. I can do that if I go to college there. At the end of the day, no matter what step I take in this life, if I am fearing God and keeping His commandments, then I know that I am in line with His will for my life. Because as Solomon said, this is man's all. Jesus would say the same. He would say, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. He would also say, you are my friends if you do what I say. You know, we think about keeping the commandments. We focus on keeping the commandments, but we don't focus on why. We do it because of our love. We do it because of our adoration and dedication to our Savior. What is God's will for my life? Well, it is for me to fear Him and to keep His commandments. I would like... Oh, sorry. Mm, go ahead. Yeah, I would like to uh, talk about the church of Christ for us, to, uh, for us individually as Christians to know God's will. Uh, let me share my story, how I became a Christian. I came to the United States to, to study theology. And I had to study English first, so I settled down at Martin Church, uh, Martin, Tennessee. It's a rural area. And, and study English? Yeah. But, you know, uh, the third day as I went there, 
since the, since I went there, uh, that was uh, first Sunday, so I had to find the church to worship him. And I walked in the street, and I found Martin Church of Christ. And I thought, okay, Church of Christ is a good name, so I would worship in that church. I didn't know anything about Church of Christ at the point. I was worshiping in a, a Pentecostal denomination in Korea. And I, I went there, and they welcomed me like you do now. And not only welcoming me, but also they taught me the Bible. You know, from the next week, I studied the Bible with an elder and a college minister there, and I was baptized in two weeks from that. So I became a Christian, and I was just, I didn't know about the uh, baptism, and I was, when I studied the Bible, oh, why shouldn't I be baptized? So I was baptized. I mean, uh, let me tell you a little bit. I decided very suddenly, so the water was not heated, and that was really, really cold. <laughs> that was the end of October then, so it was very cold. Anyway, I was baptized, and I became a Christian. And they sent me, after the English course, they sent me to Fred Hartman to meet Dr. Earl Edwards, who was my academic advisor as I was at Fred Hartman. And I talked to him because I came here to study the Bible, so he introduced the school and he accepted me as the dean, of, I mean, as the director of the program, even giving me a uh, scholarship. So there was no reason to refuse it. So I became a student at Fred Hartman. Imagine, after 10 and a half years since then, I'm here I am talking to you, I am speaking the truth, I am, you know, sharing my story. That's what God did. By what? By the church of Christ. What if I went to uh, another denominational church? What if I went to, uh, you know, a Korean denominational church, uh, which was there? I would not. I will not be here today, tonight. Maybe, maybe if I did that, I will be pointing my fingers to you, just like that. So that's what happened through a church. So without the church of Christ, without the true church, we as Christians, individuals, may not know the will of God. So I think the church uh, is so important for us to realize what is the will for me. So I, I really want to let especially the, uh, our younger brothers and sisters to think about this. Yeah, okay, I'll go next. Um, <laughs> one... One thought that comes to mind when I think about this, what is God's will for my life? I, one phrase that keeps popping in my head when I, whenever I study this, whenever we talk about this, is the phrase that comes up in the Bible from all the way from Leviticus all the way to the New Testament, you shall be holy for I am holy. At the end of the day, that's what God's concerned about. And I think, Ben, you, you were kind of barking up this tree um, earlier in the sense when you said, 
he's not so much concerned at where I'm going to school. He's not so much concerned at what job I'm, I, I'm in right now. He's not concerned with the ins and outs of that per se, though he has asked us to care, you know, cast our burdens off on him and, and all of our cares, obviously. He does not, I'm not saying he doesn't want to hear about it. I'm just saying he's more concerned with my holiness and not my happiness, and I think that's what you were getting at. And so when we pray for things, okay, I, Lord, I, I want to know how I, how I should do this. I want to know where I want to go, and I want to know who, who, who should I be with and where should I be at. It's, it's more discussion, okay, I, I can accomplish God's will at this place and that place. Now, accomplishing God's will might be out of the question with this person or at that location. Automatically, I feel like that should outline those opportunities and, and push out those possibilities. But sometimes we find ourselves presented with a few options that we could accomplish God's will at. And so the way I kind of see it is more, more, more like kind of aligning myself with a compass. God is setting north for me, and, and then I'm seeing where that takes me. God has set my, his will for me, and it's, you know, it might be a little different in my life than it is in your life. And I think Kyle's going to get to that in a second. But God has set his will, whether it be glorified, if I testify, and the unity within him. And then I accomplish that to the best, I, the best of my ability in the places where I can do that to the best of my ability. And I let that lead me. So one verse I, that kind of echoes what I'm saying here is uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 14 and 15. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. And this is quoting from Leviticus chapter um, 14. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. What, what is God's will for my life right now? Jay Hall in 2020 is to be as holy as possible, to be as consecrated, to be as set apart from this world, and to be as shining light as best as I can be in the year that we're having. That's what God's will for my life is, to be with him and to be moving towards him in every way possible. I really appreciate everything these guys are saying because what, what is trying to be communicated right now is that when it comes to making decisions about, like, about your life, about which direction you should go and things like this, the number one um, factor should be, can I fulfill God's will in it? Not whether, whether God wants me to do this career or that career, that sort of thing. And as ministers, that's kind of how the questions get posed to us. Should I make this decision or that decision? And the way we kind of deal with those questions is, well, as long as the decision you make can keep you in the center of God's will, then it won't really matter which decision you make. But we also need to acknowledge this, that God is going to try to accomplish his purposes in your life, his plan in your life in some fashion. You look throughout the Bible and you see all these heroes of faith who God utilized for a specific purpose. Moses didn't know when he was being trained in the house of Pharaoh that one day God was going to utilize him to get his people out of that country. Gideon didn't know that one day God was going to show up when he was threshing wheat in a wine press, that he was going to call him to become a military leader like no other. David didn't know before that anointing that when he was out there taking care of the sheep and, taking, and, and fighting off bears and lions like a man, that one day he would be king of Israel. God has a, a, a purpose for all of us individually, which is part of his plan in the grand scheme of things, but we don't know what that's going to be for you. 
And so I want to call to your attention Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. It's probably a verse you've heard before. It's, it's very useful in times of, of great life transitions and things like that, but it's one we need to remember. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for prosperity and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. This verse can be taken out of context to promote the prosperity gospel that you sometimes hear, but we need to acknowledge that when God spoke to Jeremiah here, what he's saying is, is I've got a plan that you're going to be a part, part of. It's the same thing that Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 when he called us God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God does have purposes for our lives. It's not our job to try to figure out which decision takes us in that direction. It's our job just to be in the center of God's will and allow him to work through us to accomplish those purposes. God knows the plans he has. Walk in his will, and you'll find those plants, guaranteed. Tonight, we're trying to dive into a very philosophical question that may not have the most definitive of answers, but we do have God's word to guide us, and hopefully we've accomplished that to some degree tonight. We're going to close out with a word of prayer, and Brother Mingu's going to lead us in that prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you uh, very much for this uh, beautiful day in which we worship to you and we, which gathered together and had fellowship uh, in you. Thank you for this opportunity for us all together, get together to think about the uh, important thing in our lives as Christians. Uh, please help us to understand your will upon us, especially as Christians and the church. Please help us to help each other that every one of us can figure out your will upon each of us that we can accomplish the will in our lives. Even in this week, uh, please help us to do your will and help us to accomplish your will and help us to align our will with yours so that we can do as Jesus would do in our lives. Thank you for the leaders of this congregation who are so sold to the truth and to love. Uh, please give them strength and uh, leadership that uh, we constantly follow them uh, in truth and spirit. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who died for us and by whose blood we are saved. In his name we pray. Amen.